I think Cornette would mostly just point to fucking the dog as a bad idea rather than morally reprehensible. I think his problem with it, like, whereas Vince Russo would be really excited about getting some dogs on screen, a different kind of action. It's real, man. Dogs are real. Jim Cornette's angle will be closer to, you expect me to believe that this little hair pint-sized poodle dog can get in a legitimate sports competition with this full-size human man? Bullshit. You're exposed to the business. I hope you fucking die. <laughs> that would be his problem before PETA hijacked events with a shoot shooting. <laughs> What's really interesting about the fucking Kennel from Hell match is you watch interviews, like contemporary interviews of Al Snow just talking about the business and just how well he understands it uh, and how interesting the things he has to say about it are. Um, and just like the in, the ins and outs and just like what he thinks about, you know, fans and their relationship to the business and what he thinks about, you know, how heat works. And he understands it like, like he's a fucking PhD. Um, and then you learn that he booked the fucking kennel from hell match. <laughs> Incredible. Now, granted, that was 20 years ago. If Al Snow's a perfect fucking teacher, maybe he's just the ultimate version of the, those who can't do teach Maxim. <laughs> Could fucking be. Like sometimes um, instead of ending up as one of the lesser teachers on Community, you just book the kennel from hell match. And then here we are. I kind of just want to meet the wide-eyed young Hollywood actor who hadn't heard much about this wrestling stuff i really want to get into it and then wrote bailey this is your life and then just walked backstage to find both bailey and alexa bliss just having that fucking crying wojack face people like to put in memes and shit (laughs) wait hold on i'm missing something here this might have been an episode that i missed so this was a wrestling promo they did it twice the second time was actually the problem i think the first time was just some like whatever kind of thing eye roll but the second time, if I'm not Alzheimerizing out here, which is very possible, they had Alexa Bliss come out and summarize some made-up bullshit about Bailey's early life. Okay, whatever, in this slideshow presentation. Already stupid, but, like, the normal wavelength of stupid. Mm-hmm. Then she brought out someone that was supposed to be, like, Bailey's first boyfriend for the implication that Bailey was a virgin. Well, that's tasteless. <laughs> I think the real thing about... It is not so much the tastelessness, which is very present, but it just asks you to believe multiple things. I mean, maybe Jim Cornette is a fuckboy. It just asks me to buy certain things that are just wrong. This matters to this professional fighter. It's actually a very nice encapsulation of everything that I kind of fucking hated about the women's division. That thankfully, um, they're not doing that so much anymore, which was just um, the fucking mean girls bullshit. Were you waiting for someone to slam a fucking locker every time they pivoted down the hallway? Because that's the kind exactly, of feeling like, I got. Exactly, like, it did nothing to elevate the competition whatsoever. I, like, it, it made it very, almost impossible to take seriously everything they were doing because they refused to portray these women as athletes. They instead portrayed them as 16-year-olds. Um... And it just made all the consequences of everything feel, like, so much less... Um, I, it harmed the credibility <laughs> of every fucking title in that division because they would not stop doing that for, like, two years. It was bad. It was not a good look. I mean, it really uh, shows you uh, what incrementalism in motion looks like because 
the weird thing about that whole era is you have to imagine that 16-year-old thing as just a complete unilateral improvement over people just slapping each other in the mud. It's weird, right? Like, fucking, like... Like, you have to crawling. imagine someone turning that on and they're and sniffling and wiping a tear in their eyes as they watch the light of progress. Just fucking kicking and screaming, dragged into the 21st century. Honest to fucking God. I, here's the thing. I did get bored of the man, Becky Lynch, but good God, I now recognize in retrospect what she did for that division. Do you know what an achievement it was to build a mediocre character in that environment? <laughs> the fucking travails you had to go through to become a generic, tough guy. Just... That, that, that's fucking art. Good for her. I wonder how long people had to beg Vince McMahon, please, just, like, I don't know, do, like, a fucking stone-cold angle or something. Please, we'll, we'll let you do literally the same thing again. No, listen, listen, listen. It's this. It's called the Burn Book, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's such good shit. It's such good shit. And then what happens is that Regina publishes it. She hands it out. She tears all the pages out and she lets everyone see it, right? And then it causes chaos. It's like, well, it's good shit. What if we booked the next Women's Royal Rumble like that? What if there was a burn book that we introduced? Uh-uh. Lohan's a redhead. Becky's a redhead. Know what I'm saying? I'm pregnant. Screwed again! Oh. And uh, that's my new uh, fan continuity of that bullshit. I do not believe that it was his idea to pivot away from the high school bullshit. I think someone had to fucking get down on their hands and knees and beg him. You know whose fucking idea it was? The XFL's fucking idea. Could. (laughs) Ugh, I have a headache. Fair enough. (laughs) Already, and we're not even fucking talking about anime yet. Um, Truthfully, we're not technically... eh, we're sort of we're not really talking about anime in this in this episode at all as uh it's one degree removed there was a concept i had while i was walking around looking at the flaming ruins around me that was once new york and thought you know this imitation of a city that i know reminds me of the fucking live action anime films i've seen come out of japan and america and i'm sure other places but i've only seen the two formed in these two cinematic bubbles Oh, we got to find the Italian ones. Those are probably fascinating. Oh, I'm sure that is an entirely different breed of fucking magic. So we did two movies this time because, you know, Spice of Life. There there are a lot of, like, live-action J-drama series that are adapted from anime. I know there's a Kaguya-sama one that we... Oh, there's, let's just name one that was halfway popular. There's a, there's a live-action J-drama. Yeah, yeah. And I also remember from my um, the depths of my college irony-watching days, which haven't really faded. I just don't have class interrupting it anymore. They had a whole uh, live-action Sailor Moon show called Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon. And boy, if you thought that shit felt silly when it was animated, it was uh, doubly <laughs> so. <laughs> when you have someone saying those lines in motion. I think we're going to be finding um, that for the first half of this episode there's just going to be a drinking game where I'm going to say one of two phrases the first one being production value and the <laughs> second phrase uh, the second phrase being taxidermy um, and you're going to take a drink you at home and hopefully by the time we get to part two you will be too drunk to care 
about my uh, sort of half-hearted defense of Netflix Death Note. I'm on a similar tile on one, the opposite tile of the other, and I'm a fan of suspense. So I'm going to leave, uh, I'm going to let you see my opinions unfold in real time like a kaleidoscopic piece of art. <laughs> but yeah, we did the full metal fucking Alchemist movie. Or Netflix, Warner Brothers, whatever the fuck, Full Metal Alchemist movie. So, which... um, because this is a war crime, maybe we shouldn't say the Netflix one. Because I don't think Netflix didn't produce it, right? They just circulated this shit in America. I don't fucking know. I don't, I don't, I don't fucking care either. But the point is, it exists. It's on Netflix. And I think we're talking about it for a couple of reasons. A, it came out um, within a few months of Netflix Death Note. B, for whatever reason, everyone was real excited for it, even though they've been doing shit like this for the last 20 years, and there was really... It's because when things are in the fucking hype circuit, fans are at- attached to this idea of accuracy in adaptations, and in fucking socialized class, you know when they teach you what the difference between, like, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? That is the fucking thing they just cannot grok when it comes to these things, and it is why this movie sinks like a fucking boat made of... I don't even have a simile. I'm Denardale, and I don't have a simile. I entered a like or as thing. I could have said something about, I don't know, high school or butts or explosions, but the Full Metal Alchemist has just fucked my brain up. Yeah. All right. So um, before we begin, I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to create an image in your minds that this is all just like fucking nerd rage because I wanted to mention that, yeah, Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood are like some of my favorite media that's ever been produced, you know, like. Not just in anime, but anywhere. It is, I think, one of the most perfect stories um, that I have ever consumed, right? Mm-hmm. Just in terms of just every fucking beat being, like, right the fuck there. They close the loop on everything. All the character notes make sense. All the character arcs are complete. Uh, everything just fucking works. It might be the best strict shonen I've run across. It is a machine that works at so, so very close to 100% efficiency, you'd think it were impossible, but it's not. And because they, they fucking did it. Um, right? Um, so, bona fides out of the way. Or not bona fides, but like, d- disclaimer yes, I am that big of a fan. And yeah, my being that big of a fan might have affected how I saw this, but honestly, I never felt myself too amazingly angry while I was watching this film. I found myself more just tired. <laughs> I felt tired because uh, nothing I saw before me was surprising because I've seen live action adaptations of anime produced in Japan by, you know, the Japanese film industry or I don't know. I It, it seems it almost seems like they exist outside of the Japanese film industry because it's I've seen piece. competent films come out of Japan. It's not like they're lacking for half-decent directors. I don't know if whatever fucking mafia boss that backs you balls video game movies is involved in these fucks, but uh, something weird is going on, either financially, criminally, or just fucking psychologically on someone's part, but yeah, I guess... I don't know. Honestly, I think we might be writing on some presumed norms here. So, just for the sake of general interest, even though this is called Weeaboo Hell, I'm just going to briefly go over the concept of Full Metal Alchemist. Sure, go for it. Alright, so... Oh my god, I feel like I'm wasting my goddamn time. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about wasting time here, because, like, I do too, for a different reason. Alright, alright, whatever. Full Metal Alchemist is essentially the sort of love baby of, like, a... Uh, sort of crunchy fantasy novel and a shonen sort of battle thing, right? And the whole 
fantasy hook here is that there are these alchemists who can just sort of, I don't know, change their environment with this thing called equivalent change, yada, yada, yada. Okay, well, again, I'm summarizing Full Metal Alchemist on a fucking anime podcast. Should I just, like, start going over the fucking alphabet, too? Like, did you know that Y comes after X? I'm full of, I'm full of these gems of wisdom for a new generation. Anyway, the point is, this, this, this kid and his brother tried to bring back their mom, and they have to learn to cope with the fucking loss, and there's a whole conspiracy thing, don't trust your fascist government. It's cool. It's good time. It's very good. One of the things that I love the most about it is that it is a shonen fighting series, um, and what pretty much the one shonen fighting series of which I know, where the main character is never ever described as shown to be or even implied to be the best strongest there is. He is outclassed basically everywhere he turns uh, in that series by people who are more good at killing people than he is. Uh, He actually has a soft no-kill policy. He never ends anyone's life throughout the entire show, comic show, whatever. He, you know, just describes, nope, I'm not killing anyone, you know, whenever the option arises. It's never, you know, hand-wrung or anything like that. Uh, He just doesn't. Yeah, the thing has an idealistic core, which I don't know, whether you agree or disagree with that as a sort of practical philosophical maxim i'd tend to just ride with how well each series makes its argument for or against that kind of ish it sort of rings true to itself if that makes sense what, what i liked about ed elric is the fact that he just he was just the kind of guy who would he was just gonna find a better way uh because he always just seemed to recognize he, he seemed to actually have some sort of disdain towards uh lethal violence just thinking it's like no that's how an idiot would solve this problem um and then he would go and find a better way to solve the problem and uh, that was what i liked about him he was smart but because it did a good uh, job was of getting sort at, of playing with the rewards and downsides of that approach well what i was getting at is the um is the fact that he's not the strongest fighter ever, or he's not ever described to be the strongest fighter, nor is he shown to be the strongest fighter. He's just the smartest guy, um, and that's how he wins. So now, notice in this, in this summary we're doing this. here, when we describe what Full Metal Alchemist is, what I'm not giving you is a list of like names, panel shots, specific fucking actions, because that would sort of almost be missing the point of the thing in a way, right? Except, except now, once again, I was talking about this fucking spirit versus letter of the law. Now, out of all the adaptations of things I've seen, this movie, to not its credit, just is a thing, is maybe the most dedicated to just recreating specific images in the thing, with, with occasionally just like transcribed the most lines of they can literal manage. dialogue, assembled by someone who had no idea what the fuck any of it meant or why. It's strange, almost to an uncanny valley level, just watching all these, you know, iconic scenes, right, play out. Because this movie is less of a a cohesive movie, right, that has a beginning, middle, of and end, um, than it is just a highlight reel from, like, the first quarter, third or so of the Full Metal Alchemist manga slash anime, specifically So if you haven't watched, then, you know, a trick shot montage in a while, uh, I guess we've got you fucking covered. You could, you could, you could, I, I suppose. These moments, right? These iconic moments, uh, you know, capitalized, <laughs> are strung together with a thin sort of, I guess you could call it plot. There are events. There, there are, like, events that happen. There are words that are exchanged that sort of move one scene to another. 
without really that much care taken to sort of understand what made the original series work so well. Yeah. And I want to start with, do we want to start with this thing's look? Because that's, um, that's pretty inescapable the look right there. is a major symptom. And I think that's as fine a place to start as any. When I talk literalism, right? Alphonse is this character who's like this animated suit of armor, whatever, long story. This movie, they have like this cheap CGI thing that has the exact shape of the thing and just looks like trash. I do not know why they chose to do it that way. Well, it has absolutely no physicality. Like you're so aware of how fake it is that it has no weight within the um the space that it's inhabiting. And whenever it interacts with something that does actually exists you know like the, uh, he, he has a fight with uh with ed you know halfway through the movie and it is the most take you out of it bullshit that they could possibly have shown us because for not a goddamn second do you believe that this you know talking suit of armor is actually there right it's yeah, like it's it's lack of motion it's it's in that weird cgi uncanny valley where you know i know how to describe it it's you know, remember the last Airbender movie from around, like, a decade ago or Against so? Against my will, um, I do remember that film. Yeah. And how the actor playing Aang just always looked like he was in front of a green screen, <laughs> even if he wasn't. Yeah. Um, Alphonse Elric in this movie, um, it's almost like the inverse of that. He's like a green screen that wanders on to the set. And it's not that I'm... As attached, I'm getting the specific element right because I don't know if everything else in this movie gunned along and that looked bad or accurate or not, that'd be fine. But it's very symptomatic of the thing of the way everything else looks and feels in this movie. Yeah, that's I've, just the CGI. Yeah, so, and, I think, yeah. and that's just the CGI. This movie really just refuses to acknowledge the change in medium. Like I don't know if you're a fucking fancy pants schoolboy, you might have heard of like Marshall McLuhan media theory, all that shit. This guy would always say like the medium is the message, right? And it's part of the thing of an adaptation. There are things that work in one hole that don't work in the other. And when you try to adapt something, you need to make those changes. Example. Fucking example. Mm -hmm. There are things that don't make sense, like, if you just lay it out, but make sense within the medium or the genre. Like, the way people talk in a lot of action anime, you know, they... Two people often just sort of talk at each other while everyone else is sort of sidelining themselves like RPG party members. And that's not a dig, because we just sort of accepted that within the mode, right? But when yeah. you make the fucking movie, you can't do that, because these physical people are standing in space in this limited-run environment, and this entire time I'm wondering if the other characters are stroking out. Well, we're getting into the script now. Just on the visual level... You know, I'll start with my with my super sticky hot take, mm -hmm. which is to say that this movie looks like a whole bunch of cosplayers filmed it <laughs> on the way back to the hotel uh, from the con. One time I went to fucking... I'm confusing New York Anime Fest and Anime NYC. I've been to fucking both. But I saw a, a short film, just some fucking bored-ass cosplayer. Maybe it was like a comedy troupe kind of thing I'd put together. And this mm -hmm. bit of parody media, whatever, legitimately was easier to look at and better shot than most. Oh, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, no, it, and it was. Um, well, here's here's the thing. Um, when these manga slash anime adaptations are made in Japan, right? Great care, for whatever reason, is taken to um transplant the exact look 
of um, the character design and um, production design of the series to this live action format, yeah. uh, at least insofar as the costume design. But the problem is that when you have everything looking as close to the manga anime as possible, um, there's no thought given to the breaks from reality that you can get away with in those mediums, but that you cannot get away with in film. Um, for instance, yeah. uh, there's this, here, here's like a really great example. Um, Alphonse's character design, right? In both the manga and this, you know, awful adaptation, <laughs> he has this little, he has this little tabard that he kind of wears around his waist. Yeah. Right. Uh, and it's just drawn to be, white in the anime slash manga right so that's like fine whatever um you know the the, the it, what you are getting from this right what you are decoding from this is that okay yeah it's white or something it's a piece of white fabric um and it's never drawn to be like too amazingly detailed or dirty or anything like that except it is just stark fucking white in the you know in the live action in a way that solar is solar dis- flare he carries around in a way that is disconcerting and unrealistic because, you know, in a live action context, right, where things have, you know, physicality and form to them, right? There's no way that this wouldn't have, I don't know, some fucking dirt on it. Uh, the for same the record, goes for we're the. We're arguing um, that this shouldn't be over the top. It can and should be, but like. I actually have an example of an area where they chose to, like, once again, be fucking literal instead of taking advantage of, like, the space they're in. In a way that it bugged me particularly. I think this bugged me more than you. I think you were much more bugged by how everything dragged because it's two hours and 15 minutes long for reasons that are beyond me as a fucking human being. I'll get to that because I have my own problems with this thing's runtime and what specifically what they did with that runtime. But this fucking scene now, so there is this whole thing that keeps happening throughout the series. I think it happens like fucking 12 times, so it's, I don't know, it's a big thing, but. They enter basically the physical space or representation of it that God lives in, right? Yeah. I don't know. Gamble amongst yourselves how literal it is or isn't in the fucking comic. But in the comic, it renders in this sort of cool way where it's basically this abstract outline of a kid that sometimes pops people's body parts on because people trade their body parts in for shit. There's a lot of shit we didn't summarize here. So the thing that this fucking movie does is that it tries to just render that kid as drawn. And that drives me insane because a director was handed a script that says, in this scene, a man meets malevolent God and makes no effort to put any spin on that of his own. Like, can you imagine a freshman film student being handed that outline, not putting, like, any kind of, like, visual or abstract or literal fucking spin on that? Like, I don't know how you can manually extract... Well, I don't mean to nitpick, but less malevolent God than coldly, yeah. coldly indifferent slash objective God. But go on. The, the thing still stands, you know. There are things you can do, things that have been done. You could have ripped off a better movie. I think that was the one specific um, aspect of this thing's taxidermy. Um, there it is. <laughs> uh, that uh, that bothered you. For me, it was both. Um, the, the fucking tavern uh, that Al wears, but that's like, you know, a CGI issue, right? Um, as far as costume design goes, uh, the fucking military uniforms, right? Which are designed, again, to have as much fidelity to the design from the show as possible. Um, and I just, it's just like they never learned their lesson from 
let's say uh, American superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Now, I might be trudging into dangerous waters here because a whole lot of people have, you know, feelings about American superhero movies and not all of them good. However, uh, as far as production design mm-hmm. goes, uh, I have always thought that um, Nolan's Batman films and the, you know, most of the Marvel films do a very good job of taking, you know, a costume that works in the context of a comic book. A comic book, 2D medium, yeah. drawn, figuring out, you know, the spirit of the design and then translating that to a physical space where you cannot have people running around in spandex <laughs> because that would look fucking stupid. But you do not want them to be just wearing black leather um, and, you know, still calling themselves the X-Men. There were some growing pains in that space. Yeah, I uh, was not too into the costume designs for the uh, for the first couple uh, singer films because it didn't exist. Um, but that's something that I I think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where I'm at with this then is that it takes a certain amount of uh, creativity, I suppose, to take that spirit and render it into the medium that you were working yeah. with. Um, and this is creativity that was never shown. In this movie, nor in you know other movies of its kind, um, or you know television dramas of its kind, um, because the medium is just never considered in that way. It is never respected in that way because they are not. That's not what their mission is. Their mission is recognition or brand recognition specifically yeah they, they they really want that that fucking mad men nostalgia speech to seep into your brain and it just it just makes for a less successful movie like i think they're fucking themselves here because i think people would have enjoyed this movie a little bit more if it had taken a couple creative liberties in moving moving the um the art direction from a 2d space to a 3d space and considering, you know, the things that you would have to do in order to make that, you know, believable to look at. Um, yeah, right? Or at least it wouldn't have caused me a physical pain at one or two moments to sort of just look at the objects moving around on screen. Just Alphonse. I'm not talking like some kind of like spiritual wound because, Oh, my beloved is being mistreated. No, I mean, the fucking armor is hard to look at, but when it comes to how this movie looks, I want to make two points before we move on to this movie's brain problems, mm-hmm. which is just, First off, I just want to talk about the peak of the sort of failed visual aesthetic videos. There was one that was very funny, and I I shouldn't say that I didn't enjoy anything about this movie, because sort of seeing how it did this sort of filled my heart with light and laughter. When we get to its version of sort of mannequin soldiers, like the <laughs> fucking artificial people. All the fucking PS2 cutscene motherfuckers. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like fucking Barrett entering a Shinra facility looking motherfuckers. It's not a good look. If some things look fake or plastic... These things, it looked like someone tried to CGI a Play-Doh creation. It looked like fucking um, Xavier Renegade Angel. Yeah, yeah, uh, I was for a second for the there. snake hand in that mother. It looked a little bit like Xavier Renegade Angel, which, you know, works because of how horrifying it looks. I'm going to compare it kind of not charitably to the 1999 uh, Mummy film, uh, which is a very, very good film that I like, and the CGI has not aged too particularly gracefully. Uh, um, but it, it's the same sort of just, you know, monster that's supposed to be scary, kind of shambling about awkwardly, kind of on the screen, but not really in the world that it's supposed to be inhabiting. Um, 
except there's hundreds of them. Good point. This movie did need more Godsmack, like the Scorpion King. Like, how do we know who stands alone? Evidently Ed, because Alphonse is sort of expensive for them to keep up in this movie, despite not looking that great. Which is... Oh yeah, he's barely there. Really kind of a kind of funny in its own way. It's re- it's it's really fun. No, I, I almost imagine this sitcom scenario because oh, for the record, uh, Al barely even in this movie. Uh, he's shoved off to the sidelines um, as often as they can get away with it, just because I guess he was. He's, well, here's the thing. I'm imagining the sitcom scenario in this thing where they, a board of a boardroom, right? Um, because you can. Goddamn bet that this was oh the committee a board was right approved involved. movie yeah the, um, like written by committee yeah um is showing you know what they have come up with for Alphonse Elric and then in unison they tell this guy that looks like shit <laughs> what the fuck and then have he's you done? and then despairing he screams but it costs fifty million dollars <laughs> um and <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I really wish this wasn't a Japanese production so I could make a suicide joke, but now it feels racist. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. <laughs> speaking of... Uh, speaking of, the, um... There's this uncomfortable thing, um, because we're still talking about the look of this thing, right? There's this uncomfortable thing with wigs in this movie. They've got a, they've got a problem. Not so much with wigs... I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shorthand it by saying it's a wig problem because you've got all of these characters who are you know in the source material understood to be the place I mean, is it's the place is like Europe. magic Germany. It, it's not Europe, but it's magic Germany, right? And they're sort of taking this half-ass approach to making them look like they're from magic Germany, and this um this takes the form of the lead actor wearing a reshoot wig. Um, Which, again, is a hilarious consequence of fucking literalism. Like, it would have been better to just pivot into them being of a different biome. Yeah, it's fine. It's like the... That's what I'm saying about, you know, them fucking up the it's, costume it design this bad. It's like my last visual point I want to get at, which is just characters are more than haircuts. Characters are more than haircuts. And maybe instead of Nazi Germany, you could have recalled Imperial Japan. Okay, maybe you couldn't. Uh, maybe that would have been a little bit uncomfortable. But oh, man, I can imagine didn't... the marching. <laughs> uh, but maybe maybe instead of trying to... This film is not available trying to in have, the region. half-assedly convince me that these people um, live in and are from fantasy, you know, Bavaria. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe you could sort of alter the setting a little bit to make that, uh, that whole bit less awkward maybe you could just it's fine it can be asia or fantasy asia or whatever uh and you could you know have the you can have the costume designs have nods to the you know very european military looking designs that they have in the show show but you know speaking of things of a rightist rightist persuasion this is the fucking monkey's paw manifestation of just every fucking chud saying man i really wish they adapted this shit for real and then change things around to fit the fucking i don't know feminazi monster of the week and then here is just the most point for point mechanically walked through highlight reel of the original material whereas simultaneously just missing every point by earlier when he was talking about this is a sort of highlight reel 
You might think, like, hey, wait, you like what happens in it. Why doesn't that work? Well, for one thing, once again, we're in a fucking movie. So when you try to cover all of the arc ground of half of a long-running series, you don't actually get into anything in an interesting way. Like, you just scout over... You just, like, bump over things. Like, I remember I was interested in the whole Shao Tucker plotline as I as I originally watched last Reddit. I was interested in, in all the Dr. Marco stuff. Yeah, and here it's like, hey, here's a guy named Marco. Hey, here's a guy named Tucker. Oh, look, Riza. How, uh, she, she has a nice hair bun thing. Oh, shit, Hughes is dead. Yeah, you feel it's... things, right? Do you feel things? How much do you feel? Feel. Uh, we demand that you feel. Yeah. You know what it kind of feels like is that there's this... I don't know if I'm referencing one thing or a trope, but just sort of um, kidnapping your favorite actor and making him perform all of the scenes from your favorite movies that he's in. Um, oh, man. It's like misery. I mean, I guess that's a writer, but sort of same situation. You're watching all of these scenes, right, that you know you so loved when they were there in the... um when they were there in the, you know, in the comic or in the, uh, in the show. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're watching them so fucking drained of any meaning or poignancy or impact. Right. By the fact that a, none of these fucking people can act. (laughs) Oh, it's bad. B, um, this is directed so fucking incompetently. It makes fucking network television, um, look like Scorsese. (sighs) Yeah. If, the guy who directs an episode of Bing Bong, if one of those episodes looked like this, he would have a drinking problem right now, just from the sheer moral guilt of not even being able to deliver the fucking Bing Bong aesthetic. It's like everything is even just too fucking dark, like a fucking film school. I keep saying film school, like people aren't being taught how to do better than this every day. Like it's honestly not fair to film schools that I keep fucking saying that. I should be sending fucking. The New York Film Academy, some fucking reparations checks because they keep on trampling over their good name. I've been using the term taxidermy, right? I mean that almost literally because what you were watching, right, is dead. It is, it has been dead and sterilized <laughs> and it's stiff and unmoving, uh, right? Just like a taxidermy. Yeah, um, yeah. So while it does look like the thing, I guess, and not even a whole lot like the thing because of the stupid fucking reshoot wigs that half the cast are wearing, um, they are it's still recognizably dead. If I might just just kind of get a little bit petty here for a oh, second. Dude, I, I live for um, pettiness. I was born petty. I'll die petty. I just fucking, there's this little fucking thing that I hated that I just made me say just, oh, fuck you, which is... um. So, Winry, right? You know Winry, right? This is a fucking weeaboo yeah. podcast. You all know who Winry is. I don't need to fucking explain to you who Winry is, right? So, she's, you know, kind of best known uh, for, you know, her comedic um, outbursts at uh, Ed. And it is her auto mail that he is, you know, wearing around. And he's always fucking it up because he's always getting himself into trouble, mm-hmm. right? And I swear to fucking God, they they try to recreate one of these outbursts and I think it is <laughs> the low point of the film because it is the most cringy fucking f- 15 seconds of this I thing. Think it's why I was drawn to the fucking anime festival example because I swear to God, like, this 16-year-old kid who has never acted a day in her fucking life did a better job of shouting the word baka and hitting some of the fucking plush toy. Then this professional actress being paid to do this 
in a movie that is going to be seen by people that she's going to put on a reel and say, hire me in other films. I'm finding myself wondering who to blame. Like, do I blame her? Do I blame, you know, the director here for directing her to be like this? Uh, do I blame the editor for just not knowing when the fuck to cut? I'm um, not to go, uh... I don't know. Full fucking commie posting, even though... I know it's a weeaboo hell episode night. For some reason, even though Sam feels more strongly, I always break first. I think I just have a self-control problem. But really, it's the fucking givens that... There's a lineage of these movies. Like, this wasn't one of the earliest examples of these fucking taxidermy films. So... Drink. Because there is a lineage of these movies. You just have to at some point blame the Gibbons eating this shit. It's... So here's the thing. Um, I don't really have the numbers in front of me right mm-hmm. now. Um, but there's a part of me, you know, like a pretty significantly large part of me that has his doubts that anyone even fucking does um, and that this is not just some producers-esque sort of situation where... It doesn't matter if it doesn't make Spring money. There's some weird fucking tax shit going on. In um, and then I start thinking about like if the yakuza or the Nigerian mob are involved. Uh, the Nigerian mob isn't quite so uh, sophisticated in their approach over in Kabukicho, <laughs> Tommy. You're up to uh, perhaps up to, not uh, baser baser pursuits. Oh, so one last. Petty note. Just uh-huh. so that you understand, just another layer of the problem with the sort of literalism in adaptation. I'm going to talk about one thing yeah. I don't fucking like in the original Full Metal Alchemist that makes it into this movie fully intact with new problems. You sure. know I don't like? What's that? I don't like less dumb fucking superpower. Death nails keep popping up in things. I think they're fucking dumb every time. And boy, if I thought they looked bad in a comic book or in an anime, in this movie, the extendo death nails look bad. Well, here's here's where I'm at with this. Um, Lust, mm-hmm. right? In Full Metal Alchemist, the manga anime, right? Um, she lives up to her name, right? She's... um Comely? Her... No, it's that uh, she has a whole bunch of uh, implied sexual relationships with various different men, and that is sort of how she gets people in the right position that she needs, like, right where she fucking needs them, mm. um, uh, so that they can be used and done away with, right? Um, here, she and the other homunculi just kind of show up so that they can be there, like, hi, it's us, the homunculi. You might remember me from such series <laughs> as Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Featuring Brotherhood. Dante right? from Devil And you're May supposed Cry. to, you know, and you're supposed to, you know, like, clap like a fucking wind-up monkey with cymbals. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I don't know why I went with a seal when you said monkey, but I was thinking of a seal. That's fine. Seals clap. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and uh, she just wanders on this thing, uh, devoid of motivation or malice, really, because that's what I kind of liked about Lust in, um, you know, in the source material is that she's just this intensely fucking hateful being. Oh, yeah. Like there is nothing redeemable at all about her. She's just the fucking worst, most evil thing. Um, 
and you know, is until the fucking second she dies. Uh, and none of that comes across in um in this. It's not even it's not even like they try to make her redeemable like they did with the two thousand three anime. She's just kind of there. She kind of you know reads her lines, and then they do this. It escapes me how something can be such an direct airlift, really of shitty effect shot. None of what actually made it mean anything like runs through honestly we're talking about the side characters when the main dude has a lot of like punky appeal to him in the core material and somehow none of that translates none um well i think i knew that we were in for a rough go of it um really early on in the film when uh there's this kind of cold open you know after a drawn out origin sequence Mm -hmm. Actually, that's that's what I knew. Um, there's a cold open after a drawn out origin sequence where they're right, uh, yeah, where they're fighting. You know, I guess Father Cornello or something in Lior, yeah, you know, as Father they did Fornello. in the first arc of the manga, Father Fornello. And I think it's. I almost feel like it's not even called Lior in this. It's called Riol, and then everything else is called exactly what it was. I could be talking out of my ass. Maybe I'm just remembering it wrong. Whatever. Um, and he fights and defeats Cornello just like anyone else yeah. would by, you know, fighting him the hardest. And we are then just right out the bat, you know, 10 minutes into this movie robbed of everything that I was talking about that makes Ed such a compelling character, which is the fact that he does not beat, you know, anyone on their own terms. He beats them by outthinking them. And he does not outthink anything in this movie, except for, I guess, there's this scene in the climax where they're trying to convince you that he has, you know, figured out the uh, the homunculi and their weaknesses. Oh, but oh it's, I uh, fucking love I fucking love that moment. But it's uh, he's doing he's he's Sherlock smart in that moment, as I described uh, last episode. It's followed up by them Sherlock smart Mustang a little in a way that's even dumber because he sees her death nails get broken and says like Ah, you have a soft spot after all. And it, when you have that setup, you think Oh. He's going to try to exploit this stupid tactical weakness that she has of her, sh- her shitty ass death nail power. <laughs> Sorry, I can't get past that. <laughs> okay, with her <laughs> dumb, dumb, dumb fucking magic nail. <laughs> I can get to my point. I promise. Please believe in me. Okay, okay. So it makes it like, oh, he's gonna reverse her <laughs> her nail based DDT attack. <laughs> Fuck. God damn it. My brain. This is what happens when you watch a two-hour, 15-minute Full Metal Alchemist movie. All right. Last try. Last fucking try. So they set it up like he's going to think his way around her death nail attacks. Or interrupt them in a similar way. And instead he just fucking burns her like everything else. Just strategy one. Mash B button. Well, I don't necessarily have a problem with that because that's how he fucking did it in the, uh... In the, uh, in the in uh, the source it. material, oh yeah, no, and it's framed, you know, in a in, in a shitty way. My my fucking issue, right, is the fact that um, so th- the first the first quarter third whatever of Full Metal Alchemist, right, is um kind of halfway a detective story as you know Ed and Al sort of navigate the ins and outs of the uh, I guess Imperial, I don't know, Amestrian, the Amestrian uh, bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. 
um, to try and, you know, find all these things that have been hidden from them, um, you know, including, you know, the secret to, you know, how to make a Philosopher's Stone, who, you know, was involved in this production, where they're hiding, where they hid. on pre-Downfall 4chan, just whatever equivalent of the word secrets they had. Yeah. Um, and that was, it was really cool, right? Because you got to see, you know, these, uh, these kids sort of like, uh, solve this big, you know, conspiracy mystery that's been laid out before mm-hmm. them. Right. And they solve them. Like they solve them. Right. And in this, the scenes are connected by, uh, Ed going to a person and then the person, you know, doing an iconic scene and then telling them where Your to homie, go next. You got to go to level four. Uh, and then that is what he does. Uh, and he just looks like the most pinball fucking idiot imaginable. Yeah, you could really just imagine him walking around with that old Hanna-Barbera oboe playing behind him. Yeah, it's just weird that Edward Elric is pretty boy model number five in this, and I did not know that was possible, but... Mm-hmm. Maybe I have a whole lot to talk about. I'm going to talk about... One or two more things. Promise just one or two more things. That's fine. I'm going to try to stop saying death nails because it, it's becoming like a psychological compulsion at this point. It's like biting my biting your nails, you know? And then you um, accidentally impale yourself on your death nails or, you know, if you try to clean your face. You... This little scene that kind of just broke my fucking mind, right, was the iconic, with a fucking capital I, uh, Hughes death scene, right? One of the most infamous moments in uh, not just Full Metal Alchemist, but honestly, the yeah, history of Yeah, good luck getting a weeaboo into like, a fucking phone booth. It, it's like fucking JFK or 9-11. Everyone remembers where they were when Hughes got shot. Um, right? So you've got, you've got the scene, um, and the way that it plays out in the original source material is that Hughes, you know, injured, goes to the phone booth to call Mustang to warn him, yeah. right? And then... Um, Envy shows up in the guise uh, of Maria Ross. You know, he makes her real fucking fast by, you know, saying that her mole is on the wrong side of her face. And then Envy is like, oh, silly me. Uh, It's not really that big of a deal because she's still like, she has him. She's going to fucking shoot him and kill him. But, you know, like, it is known that this is Envy here, um, right? And then she kills him, complicating it just a little bit, um, just in an effort to amuse um, themselves and to fuck with Hughes one final time by, uh, you know, transmuting themselves into, um, into his wife. Right. And then shooting him like that, just so, the spot. Yeah, this, just the so spot. that they could see the, uh, the horror in his eyes. Um, right. As he dies. And the important thing that I want you to take from this is that it's not just Hughes who knows that it's envy who just shot and killed him. It's yeah. you, the reader slash viewer who knows as well. In this film, right? Here's what they do. Oh, it's very artful. Here's what they fucking do: it's is that they they stroke. do this scene. They do the scene where you know Lust attacks him and injures him, like impales him through the shoulder, and then he you know you know he hobbles out into the he phone booth the to call uh, Roy. He escapes the death nails. We get. You said you were gonna <laughs> you stop. Can't make me. <laughs> He gets to the phone booth to call uh, to call Roy, except surprise, there's Roy with a gun, uh, and he fires. Right, and that is all you're shown. Right, that is all you're told. So, here's the thing: you've got this movie, right? This movie that is vapid fan service yeah. that is hewing so 
like not just uncomfortably, but suffocatingly close to the source material in all things. I mean, changing things around sometimes to get it to fit in a two-hour format, but we'll get to that. Hewing so taxidermically close to the source material in all things because it knows that you've seen this. It knows that you know everything that is going to happen, right? Because you've seen it happen before. And then they try to build a fucking twist into it? I don't get it. It is frankly an incomprehensible move that makes their otherwise simple to at least follow stupid fucking movie when it comes to weight and that scene and the sort of fame that scene has yeah right now there's a lot of hype that tom cruise is going to be shooting a sci-fi film in space and <laughs> it's really a shame that he's been beaten to making a completely weightless film <laughs> like I didn't know you could take the sort of weight out of just a se- a series of images that just have default like meaning in my brain. I don't know this is like watching the fucking community theater version of Luke hanging off a goddamn bridge. It's like it took actual fucking effort, or maybe I don't know. Maybe it just took so much effort the first time that you did, like, and and it was done so deftly that you didn't even notice, right? So that it's when when it's done incompetently this time. Uh, it becomes so much more clear. Although, like, yeah, no, I'm just sort of thinking about, I, I don't know, I'm re- I've been rewatching Anohana, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, it's it's just fucking so easy, right? At the drop of a fucking, you know, piece of music in that fucking show, just how quickly it gets me, it gets the fucking waterworks going on me. Yeah, it's almost, uh, a good show. You almost got some fucking off-front conditioning shit happening, and this movie does not matter. It, 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 like, actively throws out the one thing that, it's fucking schizo-literalism could have bought it. There's this point I wanted to raise, perhaps, like, the final point uh, that I'd like to raise, which is um, all of this, you know, recreating these things, all as they are, all of this was done for one reason, which is shallow, cynical fan service. Yeah. Just the most cynical imaginable, right? Um, and I honestly feel like I'm wasting my time explaining this fact because of how evident it is in every single fucking frame of this thing. Like, I don't know why we even needed to take a fucking hour to go into why this thing sucked. Well, the reason that we had to take an hour to go into why this sucks is that Comedy Central already has the fucking copyright on just saying, it sucks, and ending the review there. <laughs> All right, sure. Yeah, I'll, this is good as reason as any. Fuck it. I'm going to jump off your final point here regarding this whole Hughes business. Yeah. With a sick little observation of my own. Perhaps mm-hmm. less intelligent. Another one of the iconic scenes from Full Metal Alchemist is finding out, without going into too much detail, that someone has like effectively murdered his daughter and turned her into a monster. It's a character you knew and liked. <laughs> And she's gone now. People still and, make too soon jokes about it. Here, right? So there's mm-hmm. a scene. This guy has effectively murdered his daughter. And in this movie, because there's a visual fidelity, I am laughing my dick off. And I don't mean in like my fucking, haha, look how AJM sort of Hitler AIDS 9-11 kind of way. I mean the image that they have created of this creature is funny by default in spite of everything. And I just can't stop laughing. <laughs> well, no, it looks like because this fucking this it's fucking like a joke like, at a funeral. Nina, 
Need Alexander, you know, like Camara thing, right? The Nina Alexander Camara that, you know, you know what it looks like. It fucking looks like it'd show up at the Amestris section of It's a Small World. <laughs> it looks so fucking like it's so good. It looks so fucking like a goddamn animatronic from Disney I'm World. I'm gonna recommend um, if you want to get some joy in your life and you, you know, it's, it, it, things are hard right now for um, I want to say a good 43 percent of human beings. If you want some joy in your fucking biosphere, just look up this movie's version of that scene because the image is funny as shit. <laughs> This fucking fake CGI I, dog, man, it's great. I, I think we did both bust a gut in that scene. I think it was per- perhaps a little bit more pronounced in your case, but I did laugh. It was wild shit. All right, we gotta we gotta use our time judiciously now and talk about the other film. Ah, uh, yes. Which so is we got a, into the Netflix Death Note adaptation, which is a very different and very weird beast. Um. Well, what I wanted to do with this episode, right, um, was sort of tackle the um, the ways in which you know the Japanese film industry approaches its terrible adaptations of um of anime, right? And then sort of look at how the American film industry um does. Yeah, and the American film industry, it's we're in really different territory in terms of bad adaptations because here it's not even the cardinal sin of the movie. I have a different opinion on what doesn't work about this movie. But right off the bat they said, Yeah, mm-hmm. fuck that, we're doing this now. <laughs> on multiple fronts, structural fronts, character fronts, and Yeah. It's um it, it basically goes in the complete fucking opposite direction for better or worse that Full Male Alchemist does. Uh, and for the record, it does not work as a movie, just as a whole. It, it, I, I can't give it a passing grade, um, or at least not a very good grade. But I do want to, for a second, point out that it does have a beating heart. Now, this heart does have, you know, several congenital defects. Um, it's not making it past 25, no siree. But it does have a beating heart and something on its mind uh, that is struggling to tell you. And it never really quite succeeds in doing so. Uh, Think like Johnny got his gun. In terms of breaches of opinion or the uh, growing Civil War Mark Millar rift going between me and Sam, I kind of think this is just a dumb fucking movie. It is dumb, certainly. Uh, it it is full of fucking plot holes. It is full of fucking um, script issues. Uh, specifically, like there's a whole lot of coincidences. Uh, soon after his introduction, L kind of wanders into the police station where Light's dad works and says, uh, "You, you, Light's dad, I'll be working with you on this one." Um, which you know, and he does it basically because. Um, and, uh, this reason, you know, very, you know, conveniently puts him right the fuck next to light in this investigation. It would benefit us just lay some basic groundwork on what default death note is and what this movie broadly sure, is. Yeah. yeah. I mean like default death note is a shonen fighting <laughs> anime, uh, where the fighting is information warfare. Uh, and no one is the strongest. They're the it's smartest. It's sort of famous for its... I want to say almost it's stylistic flourish, like it just 
renders all the information warfare stuff in a very keyed up melodramatic way that works to its benefit on the whole. Yeah, it is about people instead of having fights with each other, playing mind games like imagine with each if other. As every time someone outsmarted someone on fucking the shield or Breaking Bad or something, they just gave an operatic little King Lear monologue about. <laughs> I've hidden the evidence of selling cocaine. It is done. And it's so very well written and paced that you don't quite notice or care that these people are talking just in the volumes that they are. And I don't mean talking loud. I mean, oh man, they just don't stop talking ever. It does something that I think we usually only credit action, well, straight action series with, which is just basically just codifying its own rules for how conflict works. Yes, uh, it does a very good job of that, in fact. In the Death Note world, no one really just lucks into information or just beats the shit out of that guy. You have always been maneuvered into a corner. And you yes. either counter-thrust or fall into their keikaku. <laughs> so in abstract, right? Death Note, the manga anime, right? I'm going to call it anime just because, I don't know, I find the word easier to say. Death mm-hmm. Note, the anime, right? Um, is... A genius sociopath teenager, kind of conveniently, but like, hey, it's what kicks off the plot, uh, finds a death note. This is a weapon used by uh, these things called Shinigami or death gods to extend their own lifespan. But one of them got bored one day because they don't really have that much else to do otherwise. And decided to throw it into the human world and see what would happen. Yeah, if kids, if the afterlife was exciting, uh, light no picks one would want to die, you know? It picks it up and reads the rules, and it's got a ton, but the gist of it is that if you write down the name of a person in the Death Note and have, you know, their face in your head as you do it, they will die. You could do a whole, you know, fucking genie in the lamp scene about him explaining the rules, um, because there are a whole ton of them, but just in abstract, that is what it is. Uh, And um, Light is a self-righteous sociopath. Probably actually just just a psychopath, honestly. Yeah, the guy is essentially a uh, messiah complex, sort of high-performing narcissist. Who believes that he can create a better world. And he then positions himself to be sort of abstractly worshipped as a literal god while trying to maintain his cover identity. And the powers that be have concerns. And it basically just leads him <laughs> to a game of cat and mouse with our... Master Detective, L. Um, right, so that's Death Note, the anime. Death Note, the American live-action film, because they made a taxidermy film of um, of Death Note, you know, back in 15 years ago or so. And same whatever. problem. Same we, we, we're not going to do the same fucking review twice. I'm sure. I'm, I'm like, I'm not. I'm not fucking like getting into it. Right. It's not going to have like the dog scene. So why should I even bother? <laughs> <laughs> I did have a real. No, I, no, I'm not getting into it. This right, smart. You know, fairly book smart, if kind of um, behavior blind, teenager, light Turner, not Yagami, Turner. Yeah, we are in the American, would you say, oh, is this like the Midwest, the Heartland? Oh, no, it's in Seattle. It's in fucking Seattle. It's it's literally Seattle, yeah. Is dropped this death note, does not actually know what to make of it, uh, does not actually even seem to believe that it's real uh, until... Uh, one of these death gods, Ryuk, who's uh, basically unchanged in terms of personality and look and role uh, between both. Uh, he, he's the one constant throughout all this. Oddly, the one sh- sort of straight lift here. 
we we have a disagreement about how well he carries over visually. I'm not against CGI, but I think if you can't... If your budget's below a certain threshold, then I don't really see the point. It just looks goofy un- until you hit a certain, like... I don't know, what's the term they use in video games? Double-A, triple-A kind of level? But Before you hit that budget level, a lot of it just does not look right. Well, what I did... Here's the thing. I have learned, like, I did some research prior to this, is that he is um, CGI enhanced performance capture. Like, half of that, half of Ryuk that you see I'm is costume. I'm using, like, fucking casual parlance. It's like literal animation, but... It's a, it, it is a mix of practical and CGI. And for the record, I thought it looked really good. Um, I'm not really sure where where exactly, like, the problems spring up for you, because I thought, like, especially uh, when, you know, they knew that they, that this would look kind of silly, or that he would look kind of silly if they, you know, had him, you know, if they showed all of him at once, they always have him kind of sitting in the shadows, right, so that, you know, like, you can kind of just imagine what he looks like, and, you know, like, you occasionally will see what he looks like, it looks good. I think the the texture of him is wrong. I don't mean in the sort of creepy horror way that, you know, they want, but just seems unreal, not in the sense that there is a god that walks amongst us and reality is warping about him, but just unreal in that. Is that a fucking mannequin over there kind of way? And I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if you just have a guy act him out or you have a, a big fucking puppet or something or... Nah, I don't buy it, man. I thought it looked pretty good. I thought, like, the fact that they had, like, a physical actor there, like, having him inhabit the world, you know, made him look ten times as good at the very least as the fucking Al Elric. You've thrown up things that look better than Al Elric. Certainly, but I don't think that you're giving them enough credit here. I thought, like, I don't know, I thought the, um, their use of light and shadow with him, their uh, their use of the performance capture, especially the uh, the voice acting that uh, Willem Dafoe lent to him, which perfect. It was a perfect fucking performance. I'm more than willing to admit that motion capture is difficult. They put in the work of having a guy going there, but the fucking actual just computerized texture they laid over him just doesn't look fucking good. Yeah, it does. Okay, we're going to be going back and forth here because I thought it looked great. This is sort of a ping pong After a certain point, point, there's not really much else to say except the fact that I thought it looked pretty good. Besides that, I think um, I think what, what we should probably get into is um, the ethos behind um, this adaptation and sort of how it differed from the one um, that they went into with Full Metal right, Alchemist. So there's a bit of a telephone thing going on with this movie and... In an interesting way, honestly, I'm sure there's a version of this outline that could land, but so much shit is goofy in this that it doesn't get there. But, okay, so first off, you know the whole melodrama kind of thing we're talking about? Like, everyone's very elevated and Shakespearean. They keep mm-hmm. that in this movie, but it's on more of a sort of CW kind of expression of bottled teen emotions kind of thing. I'd say it's more like, like a Heather's sort of vibe. Like, like a dark teen comedy drama. I would say that it maybe it aims for Heathers and it lands in the CW is I guess where I'm getting at, which once again is I guess getting with our fault line on this fucking movie. I know I think this uh, this film's problems lie less in tone and mood, which I think it does pretty well generally, um, with you know some exceptions, and more in pacing, script, and execution of scenes. 
this movie just on a macro level is not the mind games information warfare movie that it was in Japan, nor is it the satire about the sort of, um, about the sort of, uh, crime and punishment system in Japan that I sort of take death note to be. That's sort of always what I thought that this was background on that. uh, Around that time. I have no idea how close to accurate this fucking statistic is now because I was reading about fucking Phoenix, Wright When I learned this, but Japan has a fascinatingly high courtroom conviction rate. Yeah. It's kind of bad. If you get arrested there, not like quite Singapore bad, but like it's bad. Right. So, so I mean, like we've got our own, criminal justice problems so it's not like i'm going to say though oh no don't don't smoke weed in japan i mean don't smoke weed in japan but um that's what that series was right um and that is not really a story that quite works or that's not really a space for the film to live in that quite works for american audiences i think so what they did is they had it be Kind of like a school, um, shooting kind of school shootery kind of movie slash um, commentary about uh, American military adventurism, um, in 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 places like it, it was. Um, I think I think the school shooter thing was a little bit more obvious, but like you occasionally yeah, like you, you had him with the interventionism idea. I I don't mean that too uncharitably. Well, no, and that's... Way, like I'm saying they they have as I think I just don't think it's really that played into like in the balance of things that they pay attention to in this. No, it was um. They, I think it was an element that they wanted to be there, and it never quite had time to develop um, or breathe or anything like that. That is at the core of what doesn't work about this movie uh, for me, is that everything is just so goddamn breathless and rushed through. Um, that And there need to be so many coincidences and shit to move the plot forward. Nothing has time to breathe. None of the characters really have that much time to develop. Their development is sort of like they are pulled through their character arc rather than, you know, lead through it organically. It's kind of interesting That's that you, like, when you look at every frame of this movie, you can see that the guy has some hard David Fincher aspirations. Yeah, Adam Wingard is the guy's name. He comes from horror. He has some fucking hard David Fincher aspirations, which... The guy might need to select his scripts a bit differently if he's going to try to play that game. Or, yes and no. I think script issues, certainly. I think the big fucking elephant in the room here is that this movie is 90 minutes long. Um, I guess, technically, it's 100 minutes long. Ten of them are credits. But you, he has 90 minutes, right, to tell a story that played out over... Okay, uh, 25 episodes. I'm not counting the last 10. They were shit. Um, <laughs> 25 episodes, 22 minutes long each. Let me do the math For real those quick. of you who aren't acquainted of, Death Note wasn't particularly known for sticking the landing. Like, imagine if Simone Biles' legs just buckled after the last flip, and you might have an idea how uh, Death Note wrapped up. Okay, about, like, uh, 10 hours or so. Or 9 to 10 hours, right? When we talk about this movie's pacing, though... Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that the same events conveyed paced out more naturalistically would have saved that much of the movie. It would be better, but the outline of things that happens are still fucking silly. No, I disagree. I think these things happened because of the time that they had. I think given more time, they would have done things differently. I think there was a whole bunch of stuff that this movie is criticized for. Uh, for instance, um, the reworking of Light Yagami's character from, you know, uh, born sociopathic narcissist criminal genius into kind of 
angry, socially stunted teenager. I don't think there is anything inherently criminal about reworking his character, especially My problem um, with that is beca- different than the average one. My problem mm-hmm. with that is that when you made this kid less smart, you could do that. I, I see the idea. First off, I'm pretty sure maybe three people in human history are as smart as Light Yagami was in that comic at fucking 14 or 16 or whatever. But when you take that element of crackhead impossible intelligence out of his axis of the story and the whole like mode of engagement through most of the thing is this game kind of mouse requires two smart people that i feel like they don't really replace that content in this movie once they sort of take that out no i i think insofar as that you are correct and when i talk about a point of engagement i i'm not sure that's universal terminology so i mean you know it's like the jokes in a comedy or the punches in a karate thing what is the thing you are sitting down for to grab your jollies by and when it well, I can answer that question. Um, this goes from the mind games sort of, uh, you know, the mind games thriller that the show was, uh, that the comic book was, to a claustrophobic sort of, I need to get away from the consequences of everything I did in Act 1 kind of thing. And I think the biggest mistake that this... No, It's not the biggest mistake, but one of the biggest mistakes that this uh, film made was have this character be named Light. If you sort of frame this as a sort of like anthology-esque sort of thing, like what if the Death Note, or like an Elseworlds kind of thing, like what if the Death Note landed in Seattle instead of Japan in the hands of, you know, some other, you know, disaffected, you know, teenage boy, right? What happens then? Then I think the events that play out become just a little bit easier to swallow. And you can sort of like accept that these characters are sort of like evocations of the characters from the original, whose roles they are kind of fulfilling, but differently if they are not actually, you know, supposed to be the characters themselves, the way that, um, the way that Misa, right. I I think I'm sympathetic to the idea that people got too wrapped up in, the, this is this is not my beautiful but it's house. Not These my are not my definite. beautiful children when it came to the characters and sort of narrative thrust of this thing. Because it really does go for mm-hmm. its own thing. I think if you are going to watch this, you're going to have to try to accept that just sort of the idea, like just the base premise, just filled it through a different lens, different setting, different creative purpose, all that. But I think that characterization of this film's fucking problems is just ignoring the fact that just a lot of the basic stuff no context, say a movie just called Death Note just came out one day and it was this, is and feels very silly. Like, take the sprinkling of the horror kills throughout this thing, right? Mm-hmm. This guy comes from horror, so, you know, he sees this comes like, oh, hey, I can use some of my uh, gore chops in this film. And I guess it's just the... Gore porn, Gorn. Is Gorn still a word on the internet? Whatever. The Gorn in this movie ranges from sometimes I say why. Actually, no, I get why they did it. There's, a, I, I get the point of engagement. I've, I've watched every fucking Saw movie, but it never looks great. It feels kind of arbitrary where it is, and it's really weird to see it done this haphazardly from someone from a pure horror background. I hate to appeal to majority there, Chief, but uh, apparently you're in the minority in thinking this. Well, I'll plant my feet by the fucking tree of freedom. If there are people that think 
the head exploding in this movie looks good, I applaud your ability to walk into 40% of other horror movies ever made and feel your eyes widen with light at the divine revelation of what this mode of violence can be. As I'm sorry, there there are people who absolutely fucking hated this thing and found it to be a violation of a thing that they loved who still thought that the fun Rube Goldberg deaths from it were kind of fun. Well, that's them, and my name's I am among them. It's a weird name. It's not that common. Well, howdy, I'm Sam, and I loved them. Oh man, I thought that they were. I thought that they were silly fun and um, kind of, again, very Heather's esque uh, in a way that I thought worked. And the whole like, did did like that guy's head flying off look just a little bit, uh, you know, like it was made of you know whatever the fucking um, rubber, plastic, whatever that they make these prop things out of. Oh yeah, certainly. But like. In kind of latex, yeah, thank uh, you. That was Morgan just now. Working with an assistant in the ring here. Is she fucking Maris? What kind of bullshit is this? she going to hand you the brass knucks? It plays out in a kind of fun, grindhousey way that I don't so much have the... Uh, it, it didn't take me out of it the way that it took you out of it. Fair enough, fair enough. I think that... The two gears of dialogue in this movie seem to be wooden and what? Yes, the dialogue is pretty shaky. That point I will concede. I mean, uh, Pompeii was shaky. Wait, that was a volcano, not an earthquake. Whatever. Let's pretend that metaphor was beautiful. Yeah, Pompeii was Pompeii was pretty well designed, but uh, not too many cities can do that well against a volcano, you know, like two miles that way. And... So when it comes to the when it comes Chicago, to the, the plot in this movie, there are the plot sort of has like three distinct phases of basically falling apart. I think the first big checkpoint before we hit the Rochester wards is just Yep, yep, that's like that is the part of the movie that I found completely impossible just, to swallow. And I get what they were doing, like, I believe in the system, I'm not just gonna gank you or arrest you arbitrarily, but just the from the point where I said, I don't do check, only checkmate. When L said that to him, our erstwhile detective walks to the guy and says, hey, I know you're super god. And despite all of my extra governmental powers, I'm just going to let you run about to counter scheme. But you are going to avoid the entire apparatus of our surveillance state to plot with your waifu. It kind of lost me more than a little like I was Odysseus lost like I am still trying to find my way back to Rome on that one that scene did not work uh, which is really tragic because it's uh, one of the only face to face interactions that the two of them have in uh, in this movie and you know again it's, it's very difficult to sort of judge this you know independently of its source material but like some of the f- most fun that you do end up having in, you know, Death Note, the manga anime, is the fun interactions, like the face-to-face ones uh, between If he beats L me in Light. this tennis game, he must be Kira. Exactly. Once they become aware of one another, right? Um, so that whole scene, it takes place at the diner, right? Or at a diner. That whole scene at the diner, it feels like they missed and they really fucking needed to hit in that scene of all scenes and things like that in the entire law enforcement interaction thing it essentially 
rides on way more of a thriller wavelength. Like, you're talking about this box closing in on this guy, right? And yeah. I think that... You know, maybe these are just my fucking arbitrary genre rules or whatever, because I evidently love those as the theme that seems to be emerging from Weeaboo Hell. Mm-hmm. But I think thrillers that want to play off that kind of tension of, like, someone fighting for their life against situation, I think there's a much smaller margin for how dumb things in the movie get to be and for that to still work. Go on. Like, if you want me to buy, essentially, the danger of the situation, the things that either pull them into it or take them out of it, if it all feels silly and arbitrary, as things in this movie often do then I think you sort of lose the base point of engagement there. And maybe that's just why my head is tilted throughout this entire movie. And I I don't know, it's stuff like that, or when we find out that Elle grew up on the detective farm in the Rochester wards, or I wrote down the Batman program. Yeah, okay, so so, uh, I think this bears just a little bit of explanation, because it's really funny in how dumb it is. Um, What is discovered partway through the movie and it's part of lights uh what ends up being botched uh play to take out l is discovered that l's backstory is that he was an orphan who was raised in this fucking orphanage on long island and this orphanage was in fact a perhaps secret government program and it was called the rochester ward and the whole thing was that it was going to produce the perfect detective (laughs) Just imagine like a pile of tax dungeon money just burning in the distance. And it's Man, MK Ultra fucking. And they just kind of breeze through this thing. They fucking breeze through this fucking like CIA shit show that this that this like very likely was, right? As though it was just something that you could just swallow, you know, and in you five really minutes. Because that, that is all happens. the time this plot because line then is given. The plot hinges <laughs> no, it's, on it's still his there name through things through the Batman program. So as the not titans in the race between these two, I'm constantly reminded of the Batman program. I think if the if the low point of Full Metal Alchemist for me was the stupid fucking um, was the stupid fucking Winry scene in the beginning, this is definitely the low point of this movie where they have to make up a fucking CIA counterintelligence orphan program, um, just so that they can get from plot point A to plot point B here because it really does feel as though the Rochester Ward we've got to was, move this um, bitch along. kind of was scotch tape in the script so that um they could get I don't actually know because it doesn't actually really it doesn't really go anywhere or I mean it comes from the fact that he wants L out of the game I suppose but then after after he fails, it doesn't go anywhere. Kind of, that's kind of just the end of it, right there. Yeah, I guess they, I guess they just couldn't think of a more economical way for there to be a threat of getting L's real name. I I don't even think that it needed like that it needed to be. Th- I know. I guess I understand why it did need to be there, and that like if I can learn this asshole's real name, then I can kill him, right? But then, <laughs> I think this was. I know. I I'm discovering as I'm thinking about it now. This seems very much like a translation issue where they, and not translation from Japanese to English, but translation from one head you know, to the other. Yeah, uh, from El Laliet 
you know that that that's his actual name in the um is is he just has a mono letter name for for whatever like L is just his name it's just his first name L Lolly in the uh, in the manga to you know this guy here right um because in the original right I think he buys L's name if I'm remembering this correctly uh from one of the Shinigami that we meet and there's more than just Ryuk in the uh, in the original if you've not seen it uh there's at least two or three of them mouth. and he met one of them had a beak. Was, they all look kind of freaky. It was cool. I, I, good character designs. Uh, I think, I'm, as I remember, he bought L's identity from one of them, you know, for this price. Uh, and it was like a really, really heavy price, but he managed to sort of maneuver it so that, like, I'm going to have to go back. I remember because there was a lot of years. launching people um, right? beneath the bus, but yeah, it was a part of Cat and Mouse singing. I feel like they figured that would introduce a really, like, complicated you know, sort of narratively heavy element that we then need to sort of drop. Um, and then this is what they came up with instead. I think they're starting to get frustrated with all the moving parts of the fantasy shit in this. And it said and there are, they added there the are Batman many. program, which is a way bigger ask at this point. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it does this thing where it just adds this new element to a world that is supposed to be just kind of a sort of like darker moodier more Atticus Rossi version of ours um except you know they dropped a death note in there right right? um and and then you know also the Batman program (laughs) so um it uh it, it doesn't do the film any favors and I think I think we've been wringing our hands about it for a little bit too long at this point but I it it is it, it it was definitely the film's biggest mistake in my mind was that plot line right there. So something I wanted to talk about, by the way, especially since we have like this sort of fault light on this flick, is yeah, I forget, was his name originally Misa or Mika. Misa. I'm fascinated by the choices of Misa in this movie because she's a better character than she was, but. Not by much, and we get a lot of her. I think a lot of how well you can rock with this movie comes down to how much you like the new and admittedly improved, unambiguously fine, Misa character. I think her character becomes a little bit easier to understand and accept uh, if you understand her to be a composite, um, and that is one half of Light, uh, and then the other half went to you know the character named Light in this film, and then one half of uh, Misa because that is the character that she is. And that's kind of the role that she plays like this character, you know, or this, this film needed its criminal sociopath. Right. And instead of light that ends up being um, the character's name is Mia. It's obviously supposed to evoke yeah. Misa, right. Who is um very much, you know, a not so much unwitting tool of uh, lights in the show itself, but um She's she's got like the sort of vapidity to her in the original show, I guess. You know what she reminds me of, or you know who reminds me Harley of Quinn? her is like, is no, uh, Chica, ah. right? Just Chica, Chica Fujiwara from fucking Kaguya-sama Love Is War. She's like Chica Fujiwara is like this benign version of uh, of Misa Amane from Death Note. In that she's this like very bubbly single-minded individual who will just kind of run through 
all the intrigue like so many fucking uh, bulldozers <laughs> and ruin everyone's plans with her single-mindedness, right? And uh, the same is true of both characters, except it's um it's silly in Kaguya-sama, which, you know, um, besides being a retelling of um, the woodcutter's tale, um, is also sort of a reworking of the Death Note formula. Um, but before I get off track... I think when um, it comes to me and Mia in this while she mm-hmm. is improved I think that maybe it's because the love story which by the way something that I will admit critics did not give this movie is that the whole love plot between these two is approached with 200% more irony than you would expect going in like it is clearly just yeah. a bad idea with bad people yes but maybe I'm you know how people always like to regurgitate fucking Pixar's rules a fucking storytelling or whatever. Yeah. I don't think you have to always follow those. Like, I, I don't think there are really laws of gravity when it comes to good narrative. But it really, really did feel that Mia and Light Turner should have been one character called Light Turner. I mean, I guess the way that this movie is structured, the final linchpin conflict is between those two, though. But I guess because I wasn't well, like, maybe as engaged by that. Well, like in... So, so what you're saying is that... um. Is that it should have just because you know Mia Mia Sutton and Light Turner are just a deconstructed, um, and not deconstructed in the writing terms, but <laughs> literally deconstructed, um, Light Yagami from uh, from the manga. So what you're what you're positing is that instead of having these two characters and the whole plot between them, what we should have just had was Light Yagami closer to what he is in the um. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I basically need this character to be someone who can, like, hold the fucking support beam of the movie's plot that's above him. Okay. What I will argue is that I kind of, like, th- they had this idea, and it sort of worked in places and didn't work in others, Um, right? They had the idea that instead of, from the get-go, having him be this criminal, you know, mastermind, diabolical genius, um, he completes his arc by coming up with the just as Kaku plan. Um, not the same plan, obviously, Essence but you know, of. it evokes that plan, right? That he that he did in the manga, right? And I get what they were trying to do. Like I said, it did not entirely work, but I like the idea. Um, and I do not think that works if he, they had folded uh, Mia and Light into one another. Although I do think that I do also think that if they had done that, there could have been other entertaining things that they could have done. But I do really like the idea of you know the just as Keikaku coming as the climax and you know sort of the big finish to an arc. I think what's false flat for his version of the sort of just as Keikaku thing is. In the outline, it's a good idea that he basically, you know, starts off as just this sort of semi-normal, dejected kid, but smartish, and winds up, you know, through the irons of conflict, turned into this sort of figure closer to a mastermind, right? Mm-hmm. But amidst all the heads exploding with ladders and cheerleader waifu recruitment on, amidst all the things that happen in this movie, I don't actually feel or see that progression and so well that's an issue of execution that's an issue of execution and you have to 
you have to execute the thing in the movie. That's the whole thing. Well, I'm arguing, I'm arguing in favor of the mission, not so much the execution. I admit that the execution was haphazard at best. All right, fair enough. Maybe I, maybe I just, I've just grown a cold soul, and as I watch these children fail while writing for their dreams, I say, "You ruined me." <laughs> well, what I'm, I just want to get a Mallory. I think the point that I want to. <laughs> Words fail me. Well, <laughs> shut up. Um, it's my favorite fucking two lines in that show. Um, what I what I have sort of been wanting to get to through all of this, and I think the full male Alchemist movie suffers from this problem too. Although there was just a whole lot of like there was not a single fucking good idea in that thing's conception. The way that there were good ideas in this thing's conception, and then like they just were not able to um follow through on them um what i want to talk about um is the larger villain present uh behind all of these which is the tyranny no the tyranny of the 90 to 120 minutes uh which is to say why does this have to be a feature length film because so much is sacrificed in both of these films right in trying to get this to work in the runtime that they are given, that you are kind of forced to reckon with the idea that maybe it shouldn't be this length. Maybe that it was it was a mistake to sort of um to sort of have this number that you're working with to begin with. Maybe um this works far better as a um like a cable TV show, right? You know, your eight episode or your hell, your six episode seasons, right? Um, this thing, um, Death Note, right? The anime, nine, about nine hours long. That's a season of television, right there. That is, you know, like a season of Game of Thrones. So um, I agree and disagree with this idea, which is sounds mm-hmm. wishy washy as fuck. But I promise, I'm not gonna Joe Biden this shit. So on FMA, Full Metal Alchemist, right? I think that's a really yeah. salient point because the two genres that pulls from are like epic fantasy or just fantasy and shonen, aka the most drawn out long form fucking formats <laughs> short of cracking open war and peace. Yeah. So I get that. They're trying to condense the fucking French Revolution there. Death Note, you can make that lean thriller. I, I do think you can just make that movie. Like, not the whole thing. And this didn't even try to do the whole thing. In fact, I think one of the saner choices this movie made, other than giving Elle a sweet gun because I was amused by that, but... <laughs> the L gun! I forgot about the L gun! We almost, we almost didn't, didn't mention, mention the L gun. gun. Yeah, L he has, has, a, a he, gun. He has he, an L gun. <laughs> he, he, he tries to drive angrily. It's, it's fucking fascinating to watch. But <laughs> I think th- this contained it to just his original comic with Elle and not his sequel children. Oh, yeah, near fuck that and it did it, it basically skipped a lot of the mook police characters which is also probably just a, a good choice for a film just sort of breezing along well there was no matsuda yeah i think you can make that thriller like death note has a lot of sequences that are essentially sort of back and forth in the intellectual and literal tennis games and that's not bad that's great long-form content but a lot of that can just go to make the thriller adaptation, I think. Well, I'm not going to tell you or try to convince you, because I don't even believe it, that this is the best 
Death Note movie that they could have made with the 90 minutes that mm-hmm. they were given. But I do think that even if there's a better version of this movie at 90 minutes or at 120 minutes, I think the version at nine hours over nine episodes is better than both of those things. And I think that is the format that it probably deserves. So if you are an erstwhile aspiring uh, network executive, come see our network pitch for Death Note, the series. We've changed all the characters' names, and it's copyright-free, baby. You can make some money. We can make some money. Let's make some fucking money. It's, uh, it's on a cell phone now. It's, it's just a cursed notepad <laughs> app. Seriously, man, I'll fucking do it. I write in advertising. I have no ethical standards. Creative ones, but not ethical ones. Alright, so because I've been shitting on this one the whole time, and it's not like an atomic turd, it's like a fucking D-plus or some shit. What I will say, Willem Dafoe in this just great throughout. He voices Ryuk, he does the... There is a character archetype that can be very grating and painful that is done well. The original Ryuk is done well. Honestly, with him here, the guy just has enough charm. I don't even know if the lines are there, but he just carries the essence well. Uh, do you remember HK-47 yeah. from fucking Knights of the Old Republic? How the fuck could I forget HK-47? Just the original, I don't care if you meet bags, live or die. <laughs> <laughs> it, it captures that wavelength there. That's amusing. Bang. I like when he grows a philosophy in KOTOR 2. And it's like he's he's the same character, sort of, except now he sort of can back the it up. after playing L is just good. He's good at that. Oh, Lakeith Stanfield. Yeah, like, he he's he, he's a fantastic, you know, kind of slightly newer actor. He's, I think, I, I, I think he's definitely on the rise right now. I mean, after Sorry to Bother You, like, yeah, he's he, he's big news now. And I'm, like, I'm glad that this could be, like, a fun early I'm venture for him. given how hammy a lot of other things in this movie are. And he's has to play a very elevated character in a thriller who's, entire character summary is has many ticks that he doesn't jump over the line where it becomes dumb or annoying so i don't know good acting boy yeah i think ugh, as good as he is i think the scenes that he is in are often um or actually not necessarily the individual scenes but if you string together the scenes um he doesn't come off as consequential ultimately well i think he does but i think i don't know i I'm going to need more time to think about this because I was a little bit frustrated with um, L and his arc um, and sort of how that was paced out. I would think I was more frustrated with it than I was with, um, with lights. Um, So take, take make of that what you will. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think that Lakeith Stanfield gave the stronger performance of the two of them. Um, I actually think that's yeah, not even light in question. Is a little like, just the, he definitely just, did. Just their performance quality was. He was like fine. He did he did what he needed to do. Um, Nat Wolf, uh, I think is the name of the actor. Um, but the Stanfield was great. He was a he was a wonderful choice for this. And yet there was still something missing. Um, and I don't think it was on him. I would think it was just, I don't know. I think he got. I think the character just ends up. It's a script thing. It's a fucking script thing. The character just keeps getting lucky when he should just be smart. 
And it's not like he's Sherlock smart. Uh, it's just that the script twists itself to his favor. The luck thing um, is a point, especially given favor. the whole cat and mouse thing. Like he gets, he get, he makes progress when he's lucky, and he basically loses prey when he's unlucky, and that just sort of makes it feel like he's not really even playing the game here. Yeah, um, which is which is a shame because everything else is there. Like it's sort of like one of those things where this movie doesn't kind of hold up to scrutiny because you do believe that he is that smart, right? Because of this performance. And then, you know, when you look at the script, you're like, eh, wait a second. Um, and I think, again, that's just, that's just something that needed time in order to be solved. Thing of the throwing stars of the Rochester wards. Like do they all, does he have like L shaped throwing stars? <laughs> that's fucking I, mean, I guess thing. he doesn't because he has a gun. He has the L gun. <laughs> the Just L going gun. going R. Kelly in South Park with that shit. Oh, man. I, I have to say, though, the second time I've seen this fucking movie, right? Mm-hmm. After the taxidermy experience, I do appreciate that they definitely tried something. I don't think... They, yeah, it, they the had an idea. Are, let's just say laudable, but... Laudable? No. I think the attempt was laudable. I don't think the results were. But this wasn't like Martian community theater recreating images with technical accuracy and no artistry. So that so that's nice, I guess. Here's my thesis. Uh, my thesis on these two films is that um, Full Metal Alchemist was a thing that Death Note absolutely fucking was not, and that is cynical. Um, and as I've said before... Lazy cynicism is one of the biggest fucking turnoffs for me um, for, you know, yeah, anime and other things, and right? Feet. And just, I'm just not into them <laughs> or anything else. Um, so so the lazy cynicism present in Netflix Full Metal Alchemist um, that is not present in, um, in Netflix Death Note. Like, Netflix Death Note has all sorts of fucking problems, but... A lack of vision, even if this vision did not end up being fully realized, is that not is one of them. Ah, oh, fuck, um, we should have talked about Edge of Tomorrow. That would have been... I don't know, that might have been a bridge too far. This episode's already That's really a good fucking point. long. Edge of Tomorrow was a good adaptation of some weeble bullshit. Bang, killed it. Yeah, it was. Very good. They did it correctly. Okay, I think I think this I think it's um this has been weeaboo hell yeah, and it's go outside, hell. dude. You, oh my god, I have to edit this. Oh my god, oh my my life is over. <laughs> I'm so uh. sorry. I mean, I'm gonna watch the rest of Anohana tomorrow and fucking ball my eyes out. So we'll both be you know two different types of in hell. Hey people, whether you think this is the best episode, worst, or simply the most recent, the sun's up now. When I started editing, it wasn't.